All right, Stephen Funes, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Truly an honor, man. Yeah. So for uh, people who don't know, we actually know each other. We've known each other for four years now, right? Yes. Yes. So we met when we were both the deputies mm-hmm. at the Hanover Sheriff's Office. Mm. But you were on your way out. I was. And I was on my way in. <laughs> and here we are, life paths are crossing again. It's amazing. So um, tell, tell everybody why you ended up leaving the sheriff's office and what you're doing now. Yeah, so served at the sheriff's office for about three years. And then right after that, God had a unique plan for Jasmine and I, my wife. And so she's been pursuing Chick-fil-A since she was, bro, since she was 16. So this is 11 years in the making to this day. But at that time, God essentially asking me to... Uh, to choose a path at a crossroad. And mm-hmm. so, long story short, Chick-fil-A or police is what it was starting mm-hmm. to boil down to. And I was like, oh my goodness. So the program that Jasmine was doing, she was able to travel for two and a half years for Chick-fil-A, grand open, bunch of new restaurants all over the country. And so there was that option. I can go with her or I can pursue my childhood dream of continuing law enforcement. So... Wrestled with God quite a bit on that yeah, one. that's a tough and, one. Uh, marked off one last time, man, in September of 2017, bro. And yeah. the rest was history. Man. You haven't looked back, have you? Have not. No? Have not. So it's been two and a half years you guys have been traveling the whole time? Yes. I've been, dude, I've been dying to know. Yes. I got to know. What is it like? <laughs> tell, tell, me, tell me the process, right? So before, mm-hmm. um, you know, you guys even got started, what was the application process like? Very lengthy. Um, roughly about similar, it's like six months, similar to like a police application. Yeah, no joke. And so while she was working actually at the Chick-fil-A in Ashland near Randolph-Macon, I was still patrolling and it was ironic because she was like, hey, I might get into this traveling program, so you might need to know a little Chick-fil-A. And so while I was a deputy, um, I started working part-time in the restaurant. I didn't know that. Yeah, so during the day, I was on evening shift, and so you know, some of the workers, they would see me come in with my uniform, ordering lunch, and then the next day, I'm over in the back in the kitchen actually making the chicken sandwiches. Yeah. So it's very cool. Uh, so I did that for a few months, and then... Back in, I think it was September. Yeah, September 2017, she got the word. I was actually in annual training that August Mm -hmm. uh, with the Army National Guard, and she called me. She's like, I got in, I got in. I'm like, man, that's amazing. Like, my life's about to change forever. (laughs) (laughs) So I already had my memo typed up for the sheriff's office because I knew it was coming. I felt so much peace that God was really taking Mm -hmm. this step with us. And so I was like, Did you know it was going to be two and a half years? I knew it was going to be at least two. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of the commitment on the front end. Uh, it could be up to two and a half. It was the kind of the limit um, in general. So, but man, we, our very first, very first assignment straight to Minnesota, opening a brand new Chick-fil-A. And what so, time of year was it? This was in the fall, thankfully. So, so yeah. Yeah. It was getting there. At least yes. it wasn't like February. No, but it started snowing um, close to Halloween time frame. We're like, yeah. all right, we got to get out <laughs> So, um, so as you do this, right. So, um, the process is you go to a location that was just opened up. No. So it's still being built when we get there. Yep. Still finishing. Most of the exterior is finished, but all the interior is still gutted out. And so her job was the grand opening supervisor. She would actually, essentially there's like a long checklist they had to go through, mm-hmm. but long story short, anything from, um, finding the vendors for all the produce to hire help hiring the team, 
um, to actually training the team. And so that's where I came in. I had very little experience. I'm like, police officer going into Chick-fil-A, no restaurant experience whatsoever. So I worked myself to become a trainer, essentially. And yeah. so she was the supervisor. I was the trainer behind the scenes, helping train the new team members. It was really cool. Well, for anybody who doesn't know you, you, d- you didn't have the typical, like, um, scow police you know, Correct. attitude yeah. for you anyways. I mean, you're, you're always kind of like you are right now, just yeah. kind of really chill and smiley, and oh, yeah. it's all good. So I'm sure people didn't uh, have a hard time getting used to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you guys go in, right? You get all that stuff, and then what happens when it, like, do y'all get to grand opening? Yes. Okay. We get to actually grand opening day, mm-hmm. and those are long days. For sure, 12 to 16 hours, you're training, working hard, staying there pretty much the whole day, open yeah. to close. Um, the operator and their team is just super pumped about it. And we stay there for about three weeks after the grand opening day to make sure we kind of phase out our training, so make sure that they can fly on their own, so to speak. Then after that, three weeks after grand opening day, we fly to the next city, do it all over again. So the operator mm-hmm. is the person who actually is going to be the on-scene like like store manager from that point forward. Yeah, the owner essentially. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So you guys are like to go in and, and like let's get this thing let's get this thing open. Let's, yes. Let's get it rocking and rolling. Yes. Exactly. And now the y'all are in this process, so one day y'all can be the owner. Correct. Yeah. So this was one avenue you can either do, apply, uh, apply directly yeah. or do the program that we did. And so we decided to do that. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. you did it for two and a half years. So tell us about some of the places you went. You went to Minnesota first. Yep. Went to Minnesota. We've been to uh, Connecticut. We've been to Boston. We've been to Texas. I've personally gone to California to help another opening outside of the ones we were doing. Uh, we stayed mostly in the Northeast. So anywhere from pretty much from New Jersey up is where we stayed most of the time. Really? With Missouri and Texas being a couple outliers. Where'd you go in Texas? We went to uh, Texas City, and then we also... Texas City in Texas? Yes. Where, I don't even know where that is. It's about a half hour east of Houston. Okay. So pretty close, maybe like 20, 30 minutes from Galveston Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right there was the first one in Texas City. And so we actually stayed on Galveston Island and commuted to Texas City to work each and every day, so... Very cool lifestyle. Nice. A couple suitcases and a backpack, man. I was going to say, where do you stay? You stay in a hotel? (laughs) They put us in a hotel or uh, corporate housing. Um, So so corporate housing would be what, like some places they actually have a house that they own? That or like for us, when we ever had corporate housing, it was usually in an urban big city. Mm -hmm. And so it was more of like a kind of an apartment style. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So you had to stay in a hotel for weeks and then yes go to a new hotel yeah just her and i and a dog so it was very small but it's really all we needed because but. you're gone most of the day mm-hmm. yeah i mean you're just coming home to shower and grab i mean now what about food you yeah. eating chick-fil-a three times a day chick-fil-a man but before the store even opens you know there's no chick-fil-a because yeah. there's no kitchen made yet so uh we would you know hotel life you know microwavables you know uh-huh. occasionally we had a good a good setup, like kitchen-wise, where we had a nice stove, oven. So Do they were, give you a stipend for the food? Not really a stipend, but once the store does open, we can eat pretty much free Chick-fil-A yeah. during that time. So we ended up, you know, eating out a lot, really just kind of exploring because each city was so different. And so, yeah, I was gonna say, like, if you're if you're young and you don't have <laughs> kids, it's actually kind of a cool like time and because so, yeah. I, some people aren't like this, but I'm like this. I love to travel for that very reason because I like to go to a city and be like, okay, what's unique about this place? Mm-hmm. 
You know, like I want to find, like when I go somewhere, I want to find that food spot that's like is unique to this city. Yes, yes. We found a lot of those and it was so fun. And really food and gas was our only bill the whole time. Yeah. Which is amazing. That's true. Yeah. Because they consider you guys as full-time employees, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So mostly in the Northeast. Mm Mm-hmm. So... That's during the winter time too. That's gotta be cold. It was very cold. We went through two winters in Connecticut, mm. um, and our last assignment was actually in New York City. Uh, we actually stayed in Times Square mm. in corporate housing, which was I think the thirty third floor, um, maybe one block away from the actual Times Square ball drop New Year's Eve wow. spot. So super cool spot. We we were there for six months, which was our longest assignment because normally it's about two to three months. Why were we there so long? <clears throat> Uh, this was the first um, company-owned restaurant, to put it simply. So if an operator retires or moves and they need to put a new owner there, there's like that interim period where it becomes a company-owned restaurant, oh, I recalibrate see. everything, and then find a new owner. So, But that one was the first one in New York. There's just so many more variables in New York mm-hmm. City, and so that period of time just happened to be longer. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite spot? In New York? Or? No, 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 no. Like your favorite Chick-fil-A, like because of the, whatever, all the variables, the city, the time, whatever, you know, whatever. What was the favorite location you got to go? Ooh. You know, it's interesting because I think from a lifestyle standpoint, I felt very much at home in New York City. My parents actually uh-huh. met there, got married there, spent very early part of my childhood there, and then they moved south. And so... That felt very home for me. That was the first time Jasmine was able to actually experience living deep into a city and loved it. She's super fast paced, loves the high energy. So it felt, so it was just like an aha moment for her. Like, wow, I could really do this yeah. uh, long term. So, but that one and then the food was amazing, obviously, in New York City. Food was everywhere too. So yeah. that was fun. Um, and then I would say Texas, Houston area was probably my kind of tied for first super open. Um, it resembled Virginia just in the, the laid back culture piece of it, mm. but it was just so, so open that I could see so much more sky. It was much more flat. And so, and I love driving cars. And so there's just long stretches of highway. I'm just like, this is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't, um, you know, you, if you're not from the city, I'm not from the city, I'm from here mm-hmm. in the country, but I, you know, I've been in New York a couple of times and, um, like you said, Food, man. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. The food is amazing. I remember, yes. I, like, I had to do it. You know, I did the, let me get the New York bagel, like the big old bagel with oh, the cream yeah. cheese and jelly. And then I was like, I had to get the New York pizza. Classic. I had to get the New York cheesecake. Mm. I had to stop by a hot dog vendor. <laughs> you know, like, I just found you did it hot all, dog man. vendor. Yeah, I did it all. I went to Central Park. So, mm-hmm. um, and this was over a couple different times I'm going. But, uh, yeah, I mean, every it's like, you know, when you go, you go to Philly, what do you get? Philly cheesesteak. Cheese you have to. You know, you can't go to Philly and not get a Philly cheesesteak. Right. So, you know, if you're going to go down to Texas, you got to get, you know, your Tex-Mex food. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, I'm sure that was good. I personally could never live in a city. Really? Especially New York City. Like, <laughs> I could never live in a city like that. Like, sometimes what I'll do for fun mm-hmm. is I'll pull up Google Maps. This is, this is super uh, dumb, but I'll pull up Google Maps. <laughs> And I'll scroll up to like DC mm-hmm. or like New York or LA, and like in the three, four in the afternoon. I'll just look at it and be like, mm. <laughs> you know, because it's just like red, red car accident, oh, red, red. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do people do that <laughs> every day? 
becomes the new norm, man. It does. It becomes the new norm. Yeah. You know? So, like, when I came back down here to Virginia, after I lived in Maryland for six-some years, the traffic, you know, on mm. 295, the interstate that wraps around Richmond, mm-hmm. people, you know, would think, like, oh, man, there's a lot of traffic out here. Like, <laughs> I can't remember the last time 295 had, like, a gridlock. Unless there's an accident, like like a major accident, yeah. even with an accident, you still you still got two lanes and they're flow. flowing. Mm-hmm. But like in Maryland, if you had a six ninety five, you know, it's like a Beltway okay. or whatever. Then it's like jam packed every afternoon. You know, mm. I mean, I remember, um, you know, it would take me sometimes from like a seven mile stretch, take me like almost an hour. Mm. Yeah, you know what that's I mean, tough. and that's the norm. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, so much traffic up there. So much traffic up there. And that's, yeah, that used to, I became a lot more calm driving when I got back down here. Yes. I was like, this is nothing compared to what it's it was like. like night and day. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so we used the public transportation a lot. Uh, that's so we actually, yes. So it was actually, we got further, faster with yeah. no traffic, which was great. We just had to be, you know, super, you know, on point about it. Yeah. Well, that and just kind of like shoulder to shoulder with strangers in a subway, which, yeah. You know, I guess during this time of day, it's maybe not the ideal, but... Yeah. Um, well, I worry about that, man. I worry that we're raising a generation of hypochondriacs. You know? And, and believe me, I'm not one who's, like, taking the pandemic lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've actually caught some flack from some of my more conservative friends uh, over that. Um, yeah. Because I'm like, no, there actually is something here, like, you need to watch out for and, and be careful of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worry that, like, this generation of kids that are growing up you know, are going to now be scared to shake somebody's hand or touch something, you know, or like, you know, like everybody has like a cell phone now. It's like, are we going to have a cell phone and a bottle of hand sanitizer? It's like (laughs) the new norm, like right on the hip. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I hope, I hope we, I hope we can get past this. I think we will. We'll take some time, but I think we will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So you guys are coming to the end of this journey, Yes. Yeah. Now what's the, What's the light at the end of the tunnel? The light at the end is a brand new restaurant with Chick-fil-A. Um, Do don't you know, know the exact location okay. just yet. Uh, we Ideally, we'd like to know something by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just another month and a half or so. Keep you posted on that. But we're excited. Uh, we definitely feel a lot of doors closed as a result of the pandemic as far as application process, locations, construction, real estate being shifted. And so a lot of that took... Uh, a lot of faith, really, just because it was essentially a divine delay. Because earlier this year, we were like, oh, we'll be opening our restaurant by summertime. We'll be living it up, join the new community that we're in. And that obviously wasn't the case. And so we had a longer time span here at home mm-hmm. serving at the church that I'm in now. And so that redefined my purpose for this season. And so at first, I was upset because I was like, no, this is not the timeline that I had. But as many of as you know, oh, gosh, man. <laughs> God's timing is usually way different than ours. I think uh, He likes to do that to us sometimes to remind us that we're not in control. Yes, <laughs> you know I really do. Um, yes. Where would you like to go? Um, probably. I mean, I, I think initially Virginia was like, "Man, we'll be back home. Yeah, it'd be yeah. so cool." But God, we realized through traveling all over the country, we realized that God is bigger than our hometown, and so we had to kind of open up our minds a little bit more in our hearts. Like, okay, God, sure, if you want to bring us back home one day, great. But home is home is where we are with you, you know? So wherever you want to send us, overseas, up north, south, 
Doesn't matter. So I think we reached a point where we're like, okay, we'll go wherever God sends us. And so, is it um, possible that they could pl- like plant you at a Chick Fil A overseas, or is that more of like a a special reservation for certain? Um, we're we're not like that far international yet. I think they only yeah. have maybe two in Canada right now. So it's uh, really okay. a slow process of going international. But maybe long term, you know, 10, 20 years from now, those options could come available. But you know, mainly domestic. And so we're just like, well, we can go wherever, man. Yeah. I know when I've traveled some overseas, like people love like the McDonald's and the Taco Bell oh, and stuff yeah. like that. So I can only imagine, <laughs> man. They would they would kill for Chick Fil A. They would love some Chick Fil A. Definitely, man. So, um, where's your, where's your family at currently? Like your extended family? Are they yeah. spread out or? They're most of them are actually here. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad lives about 15 minutes from my mom right now. Uh, they divorced when I was a toddler age, and so they live right in the Richmond Chesterfield area which is really cool. So that's why this extended stay here yeah. in Virginia has been really nice to spend more time with them. Um, but yeah, outside of that, aunts and uncles-wise, most of them are either in Florida or still in New York. What about your wife's family? They're all here, right here. In, um, so if, yeah, so if y'all do end up getting planted somewhere else, you know, you're going to be, like you said, like it's not like, well, half my family is here and then the, you know, part of it's over here. And so if we end yeah. up in Florida, it's okay. But, you know, mm-hmm. but hey, like you said, it is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, really, as long as we're close to an airport, you know, Virginia will be a one-stop shop to see the majority of our families. Yeah. And in today's world, you know, with phones and Zoom and, mm-hmm. you know, all the technology we have, it's it's not as bad, mm-hmm. you know. And plus, like you said, being able to travel with planes and cars and stuff like that makes it a bit easier. So definitely, while it is hard, it's not as hard as it was, you know, even 50 years ago. That's true. Sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell, <clears throat> we were talking a little bit before we started about um, the, the little thing that, boom, popped up on the radar unexpectedly now that you kind of had this lull coming back to Virginia with your home church. Yes. Right? So so yes. what what happened there? So you get back, and it's going to be a little bit extended stay in Virginia, and then you get a phone call. Yeah, I do get the phone call. Uh, my pastor buddy, actually, at Life Church in Mechanicsville, he's like, hey, man, I know you and Jasmine are finishing up the program. We're so excited for you guys. And we've been able to visit periodically throughout that two and a half years. And so he calls and is like, hey, I, um, I know you're going to be back soon, you know, January, February. Well, I really have a big need at the church right now. And I was like, okay, well, I can kind of be in a need of a job. So, yeah, what do you have, you know? Uh, I, was, I was thinking something, not this. And mm-hmm. so he's like, man, I would love for you to be our youth pastor, interim youth pastor, however long you're here. And... It confirmed what I felt called to do just in the like full-time pastoral ministry standpoint, but youth ministry was not on my radar to say the least. And so I get back and plug right in, man. I mean, we, we hit the ground running for a month and then mm-hmm. <laughs> the pandemic uh, happened. And so... Baptism our, by fire. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so it's a huge uh, transition because before that, a couple years back, while we were still in town, um, Jasmine and I were overseeing the young adult ministry, and that was much more our pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just had a stronger passion, I guess, for that graduate from high school, but not quite to fully an adult yet. That college age it was just super tender there spiritually, and so I really grabbed hold of that. So when he when he mentioned youth ministry, I was like, <laughs> "Me, really? <laughs> okay." Don't have a great way with kids at that age, but we'll figure it out. And so here I am in a big room full of teenagers and, you know, I'm feeling called to lead them. It's like, wow. So that church is, uh, it's pretty decent size. 
How big is it? Yeah, I think on before the pandemic, it was probably three to four hundred on a Sunday. Yeah, um, our youth group is probably about size of like thirty, uh, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, do, do you have to oversee all the way from like preschool? Thankfully, to, not. Yeah, yes, that, they, that'd be rough. Yes, they only um, ask for middle school and high school yeah. for us to take over. So. When I, when I was in Maryland, I started off as a youth minister, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a children's minister. Um, they had some volunteers who you know helped out with a lot of different stuff, but I was technically over from kindergarten through twelve. Oh, and uh, man. yeah, that was that, that was a rough part because I'm not like I like hanging out to you know mess around or play with or you know what it be goofy with like mm-hmm. little kids that are beyond you know under middle school. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like teaching them. That's yeah. rough, dude. I like, I like, like teachers or even people in churches who teach kids that age. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow, to I have that sort that. of level of patience, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and creativity that. and being able to keep their attention span. Must have been exhausting, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had to take, you know, we had junior church mm-hmm. where, you know, obviously during the main service, the kids would be in there and we do different activities with them, lessons, games, stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. Even though there was like lesson plans set up, and you know you did basically you just had to follow the lesson plan, it's still mm-hmm. hard because you can't just teach through it or go through it like you know you're just going through the motions because they're little kids. So now yep. little Johnny's getting up, you know he's like running <laughs> over here trying to stick his finger in the light socket or something, you know, and then this girl's over here crying because somebody poked her in the back of the head, and you're just like. <laughs> I have patience for this, man. Oh, my goodness. You know, like, what is God trying to teach me right now? Probably patience, because I don't have it. You know? Um, middle, school was, middle school was cool. Like, I really liked camp from middle mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Like, the high schoolers, senior high week at camp. I don't know how, you know, maybe your experience. Have you ever done any of those? Or like, Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. when I would um, be, like, the associate dean or dean or whatever, helping out with it, um, the high schoolers are always, like, we're, we're too good for you. Of course. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like we're, we're in high school now. Yeah, I'm yeah. grown now. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm more worried about more important things. And, um, but, like, the middle school, and, you know, you would have some that would try to be rebellious or, you know, like, try to buck against your authority. For sure. The middle schoolers, though, they were still young enough to where they were scared to death of you if you yeah. got mad. <laughs> you know, like, you could strike the fear of God in them. Uh-huh. And, uh, but they were... They were also young enough to where they didn't mind making a fool of themselves. So, mm-hmm. like, if you wanted to play a game or do something goofy, like, they could get into They're it. all in, yeah. Yeah, where a high schooler's like... I'm too cool, yeah, so-and-so's no, looking friends, at me. Yeah, my yeah. friends are looking at me. I don't know about all that. Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, I still had a lot of fun with high, high school group. It was great because, like you said, it's a very, very tender age where... You know, they have a lot of questions. They are thinking for themselves. They're open to ideas. They have a lot of good thoughts. They have a lot of crazy thoughts. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a chance to try to minister to those and correct them and, you know, help them to think better and have a better perspective. You know, there's so much ministry there. Yes. And um, that's where, like, I think that we forget sometimes that if we're, like, as a church, if we're not grabbing them at that age and even younger than that to lay that foundation then when they are, you know, that young adult group or even in their 30s and they're com- maybe they're coming to church or maybe they're halfway interested in it, like all that work that has to be done just to get them to the starting point. Yeah. That could have been laid way back there. Yep. You know, so for anybody who thinks that like youth ministry or children's ministry isn't important, I, yeah, I would argue with you. 
I'd argue pretty hard with you. Oh, yeah, 100%. I actually just saw something earlier today. I think it was a Billy Graham article or something, and it was saying something along the lines of 85% of people that come to Christ come to Christ before they're out of high school. Mm -hmm. And it's just Mm -hmm. exactly right what you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, it's sad when you think about the retention rate, Mm -hmm. the lack thereof, you know, all that all that work that could be done, and then those kids are sliding out mm-hmm. because I don't know. Um, maybe they weren't. They, maybe they weren't raised in a church culture that welcomed questions mm. or their doubts mm-hmm. or tackled some of the hard issues. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe presented them sort of like this. You just need to have this blind faith, if you will. Yeah. Rather than actually grounding their faith in reason and facts and evidence and and, and truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so Definitely. that's like that's one of my big passions. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that I'm big time in apologetics because yeah. it is, man. Like it, it, it solidifies that faith mm-hmm. that you have, or it will help you go from those doubts to more of a certainty. Mm-hmm. You know, of understanding like this is this is the most plausible and reasonable explanation for whatever question I have. Mm. You know, sort of a thing. So good. So what's it been like? Tell us from the youth minister perspective, the Zoom and the online church, the oh, man. dealing with kids when you can't meet with them. Yeah. So back in March, all the way up through the summertime, man, it was it was it was a challenge. Um, didn't ever really use Zoom before or any type of platform similar to that. And so getting all them and really just partnering with the parents as well. So, hey, look, you know, we know we can't see your kids and hang out with them, but we would love to still spend that weekly time together even if it is on Zoom. And so we had, you know, various topics and even had a couple of, you know, guest speakers come on, even like the pastor himself come on on Zoom. And so try to keep it fresh because, you know, that age group is, but you have to go with so far before they lose their attention span. They're like, oh, this is not that cool and kind of zoom out, <laughs> supposedly. Yeah, um, right. But we played games. We had a good time on there. But um, one thing we did do, because we still were drawn to want to see them, uh, we actually went to every student's house, dropped off a care package, let them know we're thinking about them. And I guess the one-on-one interaction from phone calls and text messages was really huge for me as a youth pastor because, like, I want to connect with them so bad, but I can't see them on a weekly basis in person. And so that was a really good way for me to build relationships with all of the students and so that when we did come back, it was almost like we didn't really skip a beat. They know me. They know how life has been for me the last few months as well as them. And so just pick up the relationship right where it left off. So it was really nice. Have you had have you had the struggle on Zoom where like are they signing on all where you can see them or like some of them got like a blank screen? Uh, most of them, yeah, you can see them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So because I know like I, I've talked to some teachers and they're having this problem where the kids will sign on, uh-huh. but they'll have like like just like their picture up, like not actually who they are, but, you know, like some background picture. Oh, I see. But then the kid will be off doing something else, oh, no. you know, just to be like, oh, yeah, I was logged in on class because then the teacher will ask a question like, you know, hey, Jimmy, you know, yeah. what's the answer to question number five? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, hello. hello. You know, and then, of course, he's out somewhere else doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. We try to keep it short enough, you know, half hour or so, before, you know, just for that reason, because I knew they would sometime in the school year, which is now, you know, because this was back in the spring and summertime for us. And so. Um, now we're meeting in person for the last few weeks now, which is oh great. y'all have been able to come back. Yes, nice. yes, it's been super cool. Uh, we phased it in, of course. So we phased in Sunday service first, mm-hmm. uh, super social distance and everything. One service, and now we're at two services to even 
distance them that much more, mm-hmm. uh, less people in the auditorium. And so during that transition time, we phased back in youth ministry and being able to meet weekly. And I think at first, you know, there was a smaller attendance because people are still kind of feeling out the yeah. pandemic and things. But now, I mean, <laughs> now you would have thought there wasn't one, you know, pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been really nice to see the parent partnership as well as the students. And I think now even more so with school the way it is, youth is like a like I gotta have yeah. youth on Wednesday nights, you know. So for a student, it's it's a really nice time. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I do hope that people start to look at like the silver lining through this whole thing, that we realize just how much we are built to be in community. Yes. And um, you know, one of the things that this is this is like uh, I'm about to get on my soapbox about this. Stuff, right? <laughs> so this is the thing that um, I've, I am frustrated with with a lot of Christians on how they've handled themselves throughout this year. This mm. crazy year, mm-hmm. right? Is you know they've they've gotten so caught up in the drama of everything that's going on, and they're complaining and they're whining and they're saying what their opinions are and throwing this all all this stuff, just basically continuing to stir the pot like everybody else, rather than going, okay, like how, like how can I look at this and figure out like what is the good angle that we can come at it, right? Mm-hmm. So like one of the th- one of the things that I think about is people throughout all all of our culture are realizing. For the most part, um, how this isolation is frustrating, mm-hmm. you know, and even if they don't know it in those terms, they're feeling it inside, and that's why everybody's like really uptight and angry and like ready to bite everybody's head off. Yes, <laughs> you know, we we are built as God's creatures to be part of community. Mm-hmm. So the church has a wonderful opportunity here mm-hmm. to present that angle of the gospel and be like, look at the community that God has built yes. for you, the church. You know, and this is how it's supposed to be. And, you know, yes, it has flaws and things like that. But, the, you know, the flaws that people have um, does not detract from God's um, holy idea of what God's community is supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know. And then even in those flaws, um, you know, you find some churches that are healthy and they're able to function in such a way with the love and the grace and the forgiveness yes. while people are different different skin colors, different backgrounds, different histories, different political views, different all views, you know what I mean? And and yet they come together, mm-hmm. united in Christ, and can worship God together in love and affection for one another, taking care of one another. Mm-hmm. If we can present that message to the community and go, look at what yes. the real community is about. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we need to be doing mm-hmm. during times like this. And um, it's great to hear that that young people are, you know, feeling that need inside of them. Definitely. You know, because yeah. I think also to take it a step further, it, it helps um, that message that we try to communicate to youth, like the social media world is a fake world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not real relationships. You can't build real relationships by just having an online group. Yeah. It's got to be real face-to-face stuff. Absolutely. You know? Totally agree with that. Yeah. I actually just watched a uh, documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. The Social Dilemma, I think is the name of it. I think I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. Very good watch. What's Uh, it about? It's about the dilemma of the social networking and how essentially the various uh, founders and co-founders and department chairs behind Google, Facebook, Pinterest, all of these, Instagram, et cetera, there's essentially 
so many algorithms and this huge, you know, supercomputers to no end that is behind everyone's screen. And so as you begin to scroll through your feeds, for example, the the computers start to understand you and mm-hmm. learn more so much about you and what you like to look at that the advertisers are kind of essentially capitalizing on that. And so they're selling essentially your future self because they know that as they're learning you, they're like, hey, by this time of year or by the, this date, this many people you can have looking at your ads. So this is what we're selling you kind of thing. And so over time, you essentially just get lost in that. So like you said with the students, man, I mean, it's it's a tough world. It's scary. You're right. It's scary because like, have you ever been like, you're just sitting here, right? So my phone's like right here in front of me. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm like, um, hey man, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I might uh, go camping with my wife or something like in a couple of weeks, maybe when it you know cools off or maybe when we get some time. And all of a sudden, in like an hour later, I pull up social media, I'm scrolling through and it's like camping tents, twenty nine ninety nine. You're like, what in the world? Like, how did you, you know, uh-huh. how did you know you're listening to me? It's wild, man. I, I try not to take it to to the level that uh, some like other some people who um, put a piece of tape on oh, top of their there. webcam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's like, listen, man. If you you know if you got if you got a phone, yeah. I, I mean, if if they want to listen in, they're they're they listening could. in. So hi, hello, mm-hmm. Mr. FBI, man. You know, yeah. we're doing a podcast <laughs> here. Dire conversations. Find us on YouTube and Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah. All the places that are reading my algorithms, <laughs> I guess. Uh, whatever. Um, I, man, I'll be honest. Have you, um, you're, you're not a big social media guy, are you? Mm-mm. Are you on it at all? I actually am not. No, you're not on it at all. So we know what, so any of my listeners can't find him. Got to find him in real life. <laughs> he lives in Mechanicsville. Go track him down. Yeah. You can find us, um, uh, through my wife's name, Jasmine Funes, but there you go. You, you don't find a Stephen Funes. And if it is, I'm not on it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I was just having a conversation today with the, um, minister and we were talking about social media, and you know, I was like, I don't know the answer to this, right? So I'm, I'm about to pose this, but I really don't know the answer to it. I wonder what Jesus would be like for social media in today's culture. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like on one end, I'm like, would he leverage it for his message, mm-hmm. or would he be the guy who's like, yeah, I'm not touching that. If you want to <laughs> hear me, you can find me, uh-huh. and then just allow his. Um, popularity to spread by word of mouth because clearly, you know, that can work. Mm-hmm. Clearly. You know, clearly <laughs> that can work if you just, whatever it is, if you're doing it and it's making an impact, like people are going to find out about it word of mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, and then other people will post stuff on social media about it. It's like, I wonder, you know, like, I wonder, what do you think? What do you think he'd be like? It's interesting. I almost think he would put his message on like the moon. And so everyone can see it all at one time, not away from technology and just looking up towards him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I think you probably have a balance. I think, cause I think there's so much good you can do leveraging yeah. social media and the technology platforms. Um, but I think it's at, at a point, the risk outweighs the reward. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think at first the reward was through the roof and the risk was very low. Um, but because the social interaction has shifted to what we see now, I think the risk is definitely higher at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd agree, man. Like, I mean, I'm on social media, but I have found my level of activity on social media as far as posting substantial thoughts mm-hmm. or comments on things. You know, like I'll post, I'll post your goofy stuff just for yeah. a laugh. Yeah. You know, or... um. Like I used to do a lot. I used to post a proverb every day mm. or a Bible verse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then like every once in a while, if like, uh, you know, here's something really just, just really wise, really smart, you know, it's not anything controversial. It's, you know, it's not anything anybody would disagree with or something like that. I'll throw it out there. Boom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, and of course the podcast, I, I try to promote that on the social medias. Um, but yeah, I've just like through that this year, I've just found my, my interest in it and my activity on it declining greatly. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, you get lost. It's like this rabbit hole you get lost in of just scrolling and scrolling. Oh, yeah. And before you know it, you're just like, man, I just wasted like an hour of my life, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. And then for me, you know, just to be transparent, like social media ended up becoming a trigger for lust and pornography. And mm, so... Yep, yeah, it does. At first, I started like, well, I'll just limit my usage. But I was like, man, I sound like a user. Like, what? why am I describing myself as a user for this? But in reality, that's what was triggering the end result of being able to be lost in porn. And it's like, well, dang, how in the world did I get here? Well, I know why. I was scrolling through a feed and about 30 minutes in, some random images start popping up. And so because of that, I was like, well, my walk with God and my marriage are way more important than me being on social media. And so I, I closed it, man. And I felt this wonderful freedom, got a lot more of my time back, personal time. I was just like, wow, I think I like this lifestyle way better. And so haven't been on it since. It's been a long time. <laughs> so when I had Fred and Casey over um, mm-hmm. to do uh, the last podcast, you know, they deal with a lot of um, addiction, recovery, and stuff like that. So uh, we talked about that. We talked about how addiction's addiction. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not just a substance abuse like drugs or alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. you could be addicted to your work. Mm-hmm. You could be addicted to social media big time Mm -hmm. you know you could be addicted to your hobby like playing golf or what like there's addiction is addiction Mm -hmm. you know um and absolutely i mean it it is it's not even a secret anymore i think a lot of i mean we're not saying anything new here like a lot of people understand like social media is an addiction you know and and i'll like i'll catch myself doing it you know it's like okay i'm I'm in a drive-thru and i'm about to order something okay i'm ordering something i'm waiting behind three cars why am i pulling my phone out Right. <laughs> like, why, like, why do I have to look at social media right now? Why can't you just sit here for five minutes in line yeah. and just be patient? Mm-hmm. You know? You're exactly right. And so I get on myself about that, <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't want to be that guy. You yeah. know, like every, you ever gone out in public? I'm sure you do because you're not on social media, right? You go out in public and you just mm-hmm. look around, people watch. Yep. And all of them. All of them. Face to the screen. I don't know how they don't walk in poles. You know, just <laughs> walk, bam, right into a pole. I've seen them fall off curves. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Like what in the world, man? Yeah, it's wild. It's it's sad, you know. And I wonder. I'm sure there's going to be some really good, like psychological, sociological studies, probably both, um, mm-hmm. on the the mental health aspect mm-hmm. of how social media has really deteriorated us as a culture and yes. as individuals. Yes, because I mean, you, you have you have kids now who are committing suicide on a live feed social media platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bro, that's dark. It's very dark. Like what, like what, what happened to where you're, and I believe me, I'm not, crit- let me, let me say this. I am not criticizing anybody. I'm only asking the big philosophical question. Like what has happened to us as a culture to where that has become our self-worth? Right. Exactly. And uh, I mean, I haven't done a lot of study into it. I've done a little bit of research into it, like here and there Mm -hmm. about, 
how, um, you know, the, the psychologists will talk about the different chemical reactions that happen in our brain, you know, mm-hmm. um, what is it? I'm probably going to get corrected for this. What is it? Dopamine or dopamine, something? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when you, when you look on and you're like, you know, I'll post that picture and you know, I usually only get 20 likes, but now on this one, I got 50 likes and like, yeah. you know, now you're all Ooh. dopamine through the roof. <laughs> yeah. But then next time you post, you're like, I only got four likes. Oh, I hate myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, again, huge impact for the church culture to try to bring that shift back, you know, to help us understand our self-worth is found in Christ. Amen. And not in people's clicking our, you know, like button. Yes. Um, on that Social Dilemma documentary, the the founder of the like button is on there speaking. And he kind of just shakes his head like, this is not where I expected it to go. Like, mm-hmm. it was all good intention for the like button. Um, but now it's become so negative, ironically. Mm-hmm. Remember when they, people don't know this, or some people do, but remember when Facebook used to have the dislike button? I think so. Yeah, wow. They, yeah, they had the wild. dislike button. Because for a while there, after they took it away, people were like, bring back the dislike button. <laughs> and like, I was, I mean, I was all for, you know, bringing it back. But then I'm thinking now, like. That would be catastrophic. No, like people would be depressed out of the, you know. More than right they are. Now. So, yeah. Man. That'd be crazy. So, so how long you been doing the uh, youth ministry thing now? Since February, so. I mean, right at the start of the pandemic. Yes. Yes, got one good month in and then, and then closed up shop. Um, but yeah, now it's been really cool. Um, we meet every Wednesday night. The first week of the month is a youth service. So either myself is speaking or a guest speaker or somebody from our leadership team. So that's been really fun to not only get a, just more opportunity just to connect with the students at that level, but also build, essentially do leadership development with my staff to allow them to kind of exercise what they feel called to do. And so that's been really nice. And then... The subsequent weeks of the month, we either do just have a small group where we have a curriculum, um, or we do a social event of some kind. And so that's been really, it's been a nice balance. I think obviously we do like it's almost like seventy five percent spiritual and then twenty five percent fun, you yeah. know, from like game night type stuff. Or, sure. Uh, so that's been a really cool balance. And I think they like it because they continue to bring their friends. And so it's like, okay, what we're doing is working. All right, we're not scaring them away. So did you have to? And I mean, I know it was a little bit of. Um separation between that and when you left the sheriff's office but maybe i guess my question would be more in line with like when you left the sheriff's office to work you know traveling for chick-fil-a did you have to switch kind of like your i don't know demeanor or like just kind of like your 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 vibe that you're giving to people you know what i mean because like 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 people who aren't who've never been in law enforcement don't Mm -hmm. understand that they're like while you're not a robot and you're still a human being like there's that level of you know, separation and it's not mm-hmm. an arrogant thing. It's not like, you know, there's no like, I'm the law. You're not, no, it's more yep. of like, you know, I, I'm here to do a job and that job could mean I'm taking you to jail. So yeah. I'm like, I'm not coming here and like, we're like buddy buddies, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like when I come to your house, cause I'm a life insurance salesman, like I'm here to offer you something. I'm hoping you buy it. You're hoping I have something good. Right. When, you know, when you come to meet me, I'm a car salesman, you know, it's the same sort of deal, but it's like most of the time, if I'm coming as a cop, it's, it's because something bad happened, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. so did you have to, did you have to, like, was there a learning curve back? Huge, huge learning curve. Um, I think from being in the military since I was 17, constantly pursuing law enforcement, got in it both, both in the jails and on patrol. 
that just became me. It became mm-hmm. my mindset, my identity. Um, it didn't come to Christ actually until 10 years ago. So right in the midst of all that. But leaving the sheriff's office, it took about, I would say, six months for me to just do the initial transition of like, oh, I'm a civilian yeah. like forever kind yeah. of thing. And so even it took about two years for me to like fully disengage it because your your head's just constantly on a swivel. You're constantly thinking about security, safety, and all those things, threat levels. And so you just almost mentally exhausted because you're just constantly assessing every circumstance you're in. Yeah. Whether you're out, especially out in public. And so transitioning to Chick-fil-A, you know, I still had that that natural demeanor of a soldier or police officer. You're like, were you did you ever serve in the military before? You just had that natural look, but uh, the youth ministry definitely helped me to, I don't want to say soften, but like, I guess become that much more personable because they definitely need that at that age, middle school, high school. They don't need this authoritative you yeah. know, feel. So, but I think all of that, God did something really cool and combined all those experiences from being a soldier, being a police officer, serving in the restaurant, took all of that and built, customized, right, this this youth pastor and wife that were able to connect on all of those levels that the students need while also showing them that, you know, we don't take any crap as well. Yeah, and right. So, <laughs> it was just this happy, like, balance, just really healthy balance there, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, that that's the good point, right? It's like when you're in law enforcement, even when you're off-duty, like, you know, you're going out to dinner or something with your wife or with your kids or with your friends, like people understand it's ingrained in you and for, for good reasons that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm scanning people, right? Do I see weapons? Do I, you know, like what what's bulging from their hip? Do they have a knife on them? You know, or how many people is with that group? So if that guy attacks me, has he got two or three friends coming with him? What are the exits of this restaurant? Where can I sit in this restaurant to where people can't sneak up behind me? Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody walks past me to go to the bathroom, I'm like thinking, are they, you know, what if that person sneaks up and tries to like choke me out? Like, how am I going to respond? Yeah. You know, all, like your mind Just is constant. constantly rolling like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you pull up to a gas station, all of a sudden somebody pulls up. And, you know, maybe they're maybe they're a little bit sketchy and you're like, OK, are they about to rob this gas station? You know, how am I going to respond? Right. Am I do I have a weapon on me? Do I not have a weapon on me? Mm-hmm. You know, am I retreating at this point or am I going to try to play hero? You know, like yeah. your mind just constantly going, constantly going, constantly going. And yeah, like if you get out of it and it's like, I, well, it's always good to be alert. But yeah. I, it's not like you can, you know, it's, you don't have you don't have the responsibility or the authority to do anything about it mm-hmm. you know in that sort of sense i mean yeah we try to be good samaritans we're not gonna just let somebody get killed but for sure you know you're not a cop anymore right so it's not it's not your job yep um but it's still weird because you know that was such a huge part of your life mm-hmm. you know and, and and even though you know maybe in the, the scheme of like oh well you know you're gonna live to be 80 and that was only like you know six seven eight years of it yeah but yeah. you know it's a huge shaping part because it's one of those things like once you experience it you can't not experience it Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sure it's the same thing for guys who go to war Mm -hmm. you know and get deployed it's like once you go to war and you come back here like you never really forget there's like a different element of life definitely i think you were right about the molding piece and i think the more your adrenaline spikes are attached to that type of environment or atmosphere it takes that much as more permanent I guess, results from that. Mm. So I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I worry about myself now. 
You're going to forever think that way. Yeah, forever. It's never never going to take away. (laughs) But on the flip side of that or the caveat to that is you take all those experiences and you're able to align the gospel, align your walk with Christ with that, and you're able to connect with so many more people Mm -hmm. as a result. So that's what I think the beauty of it. Well, the church I'm at now, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, God... God's so awesome in how he does. He'll 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 mold you and shape you, you know, through what you're going through now for what he wants to use you for later. Mm-hmm. While also using you right now if you let him, right? So yeah. like the church I'm at now has a lot of police, military, firefighters, and then guys who work in such a capacity that they can't tell you what they do. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Right? Um so you know, they they um they understand that thing we were just talking about. And it's almost like, again, not an arrogant thing. It's really hard to under, to explain, but it's almost like if you haven't been there in that sort of life, it, it's almost harder for you to connect with that person. Mm-hmm. Not saying that cops can't have not, not non-cop friends, because clearly they do. I do. Yeah. But there's a different, you know, it's almost like you and me can look at each other and we kind of know. We know that different level that people don't usually experience. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's I, that's why I hear a lot of military guys when they talk about uh, coming back from war. You know, and they got those those brotherhood bonds with those guys that they went with because mm-hmm. when you experience those things with a group of people, um, it's there's a bonding element there. Definitely. You know, like there's something I don't even know. I'm not smart enough to understand it, but there's a bonding element there that will never be broken. It can't be broken. Yeah. So it's it's the same thing with law enforcement. That's why they call it, you know, the 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 brotherhood. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I guess I guess in a sense that switch never goes off. Not really. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it. I don't think it ever will. Yeah, even to this day, I mean, it's been three years for me. Um, it's still there. It's still there. So. But that's all good though, because you know it's it's life. It is. You know, so I mean, we're here for a short time. And the goal is for God to use us. Exactly. So whatever way he can use us, that's what we want to do. Amen. So what's um what's what's the plan? What happens if uh if Chick-fil-A calls you and is like, hey man, we want to send you to such and such place? You going? Going. Nice. Going, man. Full speed ahead. Um it's been a long interview process. Um it's about two to three year process in general, just for the application mm-hmm. and interviews and ton of interviews, bro. Uh, it, they interview us more, or Jasmine, excuse me. I'll get interviewed at some point. Um, but she's been interviewed more than I was interviewed to become a police officer. Mm. It's just wild how how in-depth they dig. Um, but it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. And so being at the tail end now, I mean, we've got the green light to be owners. They're just trying to pinpoint where they see the best fit for that long-term partnership. So it's really humbling and it's really fun, um, but very exciting because we have no clue where God wants to send us. And so it was funny because recently, uh, a few months ago, um, we were thinking that Virginia was going to be it. We saw multiple stores like close to hometown. We're like, man, that'd be so cool. God bring us right back to where it all started. They we, just put one up on 301. Right, right. And so it's like this this story that we were writing, we were like, oh man, this would be beautiful. What a poetic ending. This is glorious, right? 
And then God just kept closing those doors one at a time. We're like, and we got mad at God. We're like, what are you doing? Like, this makes no sense why you're closing that door. And he's just like, just shaking his head, right? He's imagining. Um, and so I know the door that does open will be the one that God wants us to walk through. And so I, I guess you reach a point where you're like, we, you just trust God's will despite whatever plan you have. I mean, when I was a kid, bro, I just, I've loved playing cops and robbers so much as a mm-hmm. kid out in the yard. It literally formulated like my career path since I was young. And I remember even I was in fifth grade on um, September 11, 2001. And I remember you were in fifth grade at that point? Fifth grade. I was in 12th grade. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember seeing um, that event unfold on the television in my classroom. And it was in that moment, I felt like there was just like a deep seed that was planted, like, I want to serve my country. And my dad was a Marine. Um, my brother was also a Marine, multiple aunts and uncles in law enforcement. And so it was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I was fifth grade. And so taking that whole career path and then God saying, okay, that's great. I gave you the desire of your heart of one to serve in that capacity. But now I have something else for you. It's not that it's bigger and better. It's just different. It's, it's just different. Yeah. The next chapter, uh, you just turn in the page, and so it's a unique story that he's writing, and I'm in the middle of it. Um, but I think the the biggest thing for me was like when I started to fully trust him. That's when it the fun factor just kicked in mm-hmm. that much more. So, yeah, that's the thing is like, um, you know, when the longer you progress as a Christian, the more that understanding of you might not know what the end game is, but you can see God moving. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can understand, okay, he, I, I get it. I get it. He's saying no here. Maybe he's saying hold here, or maybe he's saying go there. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing with Abraham, right? He told Abraham, you know, I learned this from, I think, um, I think it was A.W. Tozer. Have you ever heard of A.W. Tozer? Yeah, yeah. Love listen, if you don't read A.W. Tozer, you need to. If you listen yes. to this podcast, just turn the podcast off, go read A.W. Tozer. <laughs> but, um, so he um, he said when God called, I think it's him, maybe I'm misquoting, but he said when God called Abraham, he didn't tell him where to go. Hmm. He just told him, leave where you are. Hmm. Go to a country, I will show you. Right? So like, I think about that. Like A lot of times when God calls us, he tells us to leave where we are. Mm-hmm but doesn't tell us where we're going. Mm. But that's the trust factor. Yes. Right? So you learn, um, as Hebrew says, you know, you have your senses trained for righteousness. Mm-hmm. So you begin to learn kind of how God moves and how he works and how he functions. And you see, like, um, as you look back on your life, and you go, okay, that's how he did things then. Now I'm at this next wave or phase of life. Mm-hmm. And kind of the same thing. I can feel a transition brewing or I'm in the transition. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's where the trust factor comes in. And if you if you learn to trust him, mm-hmm. and you ride that wave, it's like, it all works out. It's all good. It does, man. You know, and it's fun. It is, it is fun. fun. Yes. I mean, even when it's even when it's not fun, it's fun. Because mm-hmm. you know, like if you really love God, even in the times when he sends you in a place that it's not fun, it's fun because you go, this is God's wave. Yep. So even though it's rough, mm-hmm. it's the right one to be on. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, even despite any persecution you may face, you recognize that there's still a purpose even in that. And so you just live that much more freely. You think that's why Paul might have been singing in jail? I think so. (laughs) He's like, man, regardless if I live or die, you know. (laughs) This is good to go, man. Jesus is in control, and so I can trust that. So, Mm -hmm. 
Oh, so what's your what's your favorite Bible verse? Ooh, you know it was funny because when I was in New York City, I started to run a lot. I did a marathon back in 2015. A whole marathon. I did. Yeah, the whole back one. in uh, 2015 November. Um, wow, bro. It was it was pretty sweet. How long did you train for that? About four months. That's it. That was it. Yeah. I mean, I was running fairly well, like from the military. So I at least okay. had up to five miles, right? In okay. my belt. We never really ran much more than that normally. So that's my five mile was my start point. And so four months later, did the big race. And I'm going to tell you what, man. What was, the, what was the longest you ran before the marathon? Five miles. So your training consisted of just running five miles. No, like so. Yeah. So sorry. Um, so prior to starting my training, the most, the furthest I've gone okay. was five miles. Okay. So in the training of the four months, it ranged, but I think the most that I ran was like 18 to 20 miles. Okay. So you were pretty much at that point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but man, race day, bro, mile 18. It hit you. Nailed me. I literally walked off the course, stood up against a tree and started stretching. I was like, I can't go any further. I cannot go any further. And that classic verse, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I was like, Lord, you know, Paul talked about it. You know, even his weakest point, you came through and your strength was made perfect. I said, Lord, I can't finish this race on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first 18 miles, I was like, I was kind of leaning more on my own training. I was like, ah, I've done this. I've trained this much. I've got my shoes just right. Like, I can do this. And so when mile 18 came, I was like, I cannot do this any longer. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> I mean, dude, I had grandmas running right past me, bro. 12-year-old girls just, you know. I was like, what in the world? My pride was hurting, bro, to be I honest. It was. <laughs> um, but, man, I crossed that finish line. Jasmine was actually running a half marathon simultaneously. And so we were able to, um, I was able to see her cross the finish line after I finished. And it was just so cool, man. How much weight did you lose during this training? Because <laughs> I, I feel like you got to be, I mean, you got to be eating like 4,000. A ton know, of calories, bro. Calories. A I day. loved it because I was still, um, I guess, in my mid 20s. And so my metabolism was still on point. I feel the difference now, almost 30. But, um, Dude, yeah. I think I maybe have only lost maybe like 10 pounds. Like it was super toned, body fat was yeah. gone, you know, just living that good life. <laughs> Chelsea ran um, a couple half marathons. Nice. And, um, yeah, she like she, that's her jam, man, was like to run. So she trained for a couple and ran them. And I mean, that's fantastic, you know. She always wants me to go running with her. And so like I, most of the time I'm like, oh, I don't want to. But we got into some running. Um you know, especially like during this past summer, because mm -hmm. like, you know, I couldn't go do my jujitsu because our gym was shut down and, you know, I was still working out. We got a little garage gym. I'll show you that later, but we okay. got a little garage gym nice. that we've been building. And then, um, you know, we were running a lot and I'm kind of like naturally built for it, even though I don't really like it. Yeah. Like my endurance can jump up pretty quick. Nice. Um, so like, I remember one day, this was, this was like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, mm -hmm. like a year and a half ago. I was um I was thinking about going into the National Guard, hmm. like I wanted to sign up, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's like her um her cousin was over. The guy I was telling you about earlier, yeah. And, uh, you know we're all talking, so it gives me all like it gives me all hyped up, man. Mm -hmm. Like I want to get in, but I'm like I'm at that point now where I'm too old to have that dream of, you know, military career, go do all the oh, you know yeah. like secret Green Beret stuff, sure, SEAL team, whatever. <laughs> um. But I was like, yeah, I can still get into, you know, get into the National Guard. Like, that'd be pretty sweet, you know, mm -hmm. still still live 
somewhat of, of, of that life or experience, you know, the military life. Mm-hmm. And like, she was like, nah, I don't want you to do it. Cause she like, you know, she didn't want me to be deployed or whatever. And, um, sure. you, she has nothing wrong with the military. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, where we're at in our life. And, uh, so we, we were joking and she was going to go for a run. She's training for a half marathon. And, uh, she goes, if you run seven miles, with me because she was about to go run seven miles and i this was that time when like i hadn't run in like a year wow if you run seven miles with me then then you can you can go to sign up with the national guard <laughs> so i was like game yeah. on <laughs> so i strapped my shoes on dude i went out there and ran whole seven miles what whole seven miles Crushed it. That, dude. and then we went we went and talked to a recruiter no but then when like the rubber met the road she's like <laughs> I don't think I want you to do it. <laughs> wow. It's all good. It all works out for the best, though. It does. Yes. Amen to that. He tried to get her to sign up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm blaming <laughs> Yeah, because he was, he was like, hey, if you come in, then mm-hmm. I'll bring you in as like a major. Boom. You know, because she's a, she's a PA. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, he was going to, you know, bring her in, outrank me, all that good stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, whatever, you know. It works, man. <laughs> she was actually thinking about it for a minute. Wow. How different your life would have been. How different it definitely would have been. But it all works out in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Sure does. All works out in the end. So you're going to be doing the youth ministry thing at Life Church mm-hmm. for a little bit. You think Chick-fil-A is going to delay on you? I think um, yes and no. I think it's been a delay <laughs> since yeah. we started. But I think as especially as 2021 approaches, they've got the pandemic. I don't want to say they have it under control, but they've adjusted accordingly. And so, and it's actually been growing in sales as a result, which is pretty wild, but. That's not surprising for Chick-fil-A because like, you know, people always joke about the way Chick-fil-A is run. You know, it's like, you think the drive-thru, for example, Mm -hmm. they're like, man, whoever does the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, that person should run the government. You know, (laughs) have you ever seen those jokes? Uh, Oh oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, because they're on social media. Yeah. But people joke about I've heard them verbalize it, yes. Yeah, I mean, but it's so true because you can see, here's a business, you're Mm -hmm. right, in the private sector, it's well-run, clearly they're doing things right because they're getting business, right? Mm -hmm. If you're you're doing things wrong, you're not going to be getting business. They're doing things right, they have great service, great food, and you know they're super on point. Mm-hmm. What like what's the secret? You know, and they're closed <laughs> one day a week. Yeah, <laughs> on a weekend. Yes, you know they're closed, and they're still rocking and rolling. Mm. It's a blessed business, bro. Yes, it is. Do you know what the first three words of the corporate purpose for Chick Fil A is? No idea. To glorify God. Amen. That's where it starts, man. True Kathy has a stone out of outside a corporate office with that ingrained. Like it. That's it. I think I mean it's a blessed business. Close on Sunday to respect that and to be good stewards of what, what we have. I think I mean it's just it's embedded throughout so much. That God is just like, of course, I'm going to show favor over that business. That's my business. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they call it. It's God's chicken. <laughs> exactly. It's God's chicken. Hey, listen, what they said, the other thing they said was, uh, we didn't have this all this problem in 2020 until Popeye tried to mess with Chick-fil-A chicken. <laughs> 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 I 
That's a good one. I like <laughs> Did you hear that, that one? <laughs> no. No, you haven't heard that one? That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, because I don't even know. What was it? Popeyes came out with like some chicken sandwich. Like they were trying mm-hmm. to like, yeah, they were trying to rival Chick-fil-A. They were. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> Thanks, Popeyes. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I, I'll be honest. I like Popeyes. But if I had they a choice. Good food, yeah. If I had a choice, it's Chick-fil-A all the way, man. Thank you. I love some <laughs> I do, man. You know, I actually, um, I knew a guy in Maryland. I knew a couple guys in Maryland um, who were affiliated with Chick-fil-A. Like one of them. I think he was one of the owners of a Chick-fil-A. I can't remember now. But, mm-hmm. like, he would always invite me to, like, the Orioles games. Oh, nice. And, like, we would get to sit, like, up in the box. Beautiful. You know, like, we go up there and there's, like, food and drinks. And, like, you're in this, like... The whole suite, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a TV. But then the game's right there. <laughs> Bro. You talk about, I mean, I don't know. He, like, you know, he just was inviting me, I guess, because I worked for the church. I was, like, super special. I don't know, but... <laughs> He was a cool enough guy, nice. you know, and then um, another dude, he, he was like the marketing manager or something for a Chick-fil-A. There's another person who came to our church who ran a Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of Chick-fil-A people, you know, obviously they were clearly great people. Yeah. Um, the church I work at for, uh, now, LifePoint, um, we've been partnering with Chick-fil-A's in the area to basically we will take a box lunch to the different schools hmm. right now. So, like, we'll show up to a school. Like, we showed up to a school today. I can't remember which one it was because I just, like, I just started working with them. So, they've been doing all these different schools. And okay. I forgot which one we went to today. But anyway, so we went to the school and we dropped off, like, 100 Chick-fil-A box lunches, you know, nice. for, like, the teachers and the staff and the people who work there. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, because clearly what they're having to do right now is – whole new world beat your head into the wall Mm -hmm. rough you know if you talk to any teacher right now oh yeah they're about ready to quit essentially (laughs) i think they're all ready to quit dude yeah uh i don't blame them Mm -mm. i I can't imagine it's it's rough man i don't know the answer to that no i don't know that uh, you know that's for smarter people than me to do (laughs) i just know that we try to appreciate them you know so we drop it off give them you know box lunch chick-fil-a gift card Mm. you know stuff like that show all the teachers in the area we appreciate them so yeah hopefully they know yeah yeah Hopefully Chick-fil-A yeah. speaks that. Yeah. <laughs> when you bring that on the doorstep, they, they know you care. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Chick-fil-A. Maybe a few people. You know, and if they've never had it or dislike it, as soon as they go and enjoy the food and the service and the whole experience, they become a raving fan almost mm-hmm. instantly. So, Do you know, like, somebody told, one of the guys who worked there told me, the like one of those guys I was talking about, mm-hmm. told me that... Um, like the Chick-fil-A sauce wasn't original to the business. Like Correct. It, yeah. Like it was like later invented. It was actually invented at a Chick-fil-A here in Virginia. Really? Yep. Which one? Do you right know? up in Fredericksburg. I want to say South Point maybe. Maybe. Don't quote me on the name. But yeah, they uh, they created it. Chick-fil-A found out. And I don't know what deal they made but long story short everybody's got chick-fil-a sauce now (laughs) well whatever they did (laughs) whoever invented that should have got a nice paycheck you're right (laughs) so what like what is the process like when you say um like that chick-fil-a is like is it i know chick-fil-a like technically owns the name but does that person own that like store or they like like how does that work you know what i mean yeah it's a like a franchise so you have that 50-50 partnership, essentially. And so, for example, if I owned a Chick-fil-A, 30 years later I want to retire, the store goes back to Chick-fil-A. They put a new owner there, and it continues. So you essentially just split the profit with Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. So there are certain parameters by which you have to work in. 
Like you clearly, if you own the store, you can't start changing the chicken sandwich. Correct. You know, or changing the label and those sort of things. Correct. But that one store obviously had the ability to make a sauce that was unique to them. Yeah. And they had to get it approved before they sold it, if that makes Uh, sense. Oh, so it's not like they were like off kind of doing it and then word of mouth got out. Mm -hmm. They were like, hey, we got an idea. Yes. Yeah. So they have plenty of, I guess, business consultants that work for Chick-fil-A that you have to be in contact with if you're doing something at that level. Say, hey, do you approve of this or can you kind of run this up the chain? So they're very organized that way. It's like Mm -hmm. running up the chain, it comes back down. Like, all right, we have a green light. And by the way, send some over here so we can try it. (laughs) So what they did was they put they put a waffle fry and a little cup of that sauce <laughs> on the desk of the, of the man. That's right. And they said, here you go, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Sign off on that. Exactly. And then he was like, yep, here you go. And we're all thankful for it. I wonder I wonder what the process was like in the sense of like how many tweaks they have to do to that recipe. Hmm, that's a good question. I'm sure it's they quite did. a concoction. I'm sure they did some. I think they're selling it now in Walmarts. And Are you serious? Other, yeah. You should not have told me this. I just saw a couple articles just recently. I was like... Oh, it's finally coming. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know when, but I think they're starting to launch it out, which is a good timing for the holiday season. Yeah. You find wow. that in your stocking, bro. I wish you wouldn't have told me that. <laughs> I do. Love, man, it's it's one of the things where it's like, you know, you'll get like, let me get this meal or whatever. Make sure you put that Chick-fil-A sauce yes. in the bags. <laughs> yeah, that one and Polynesian is the two that they're going to be selling in stores. So Yeah, Polynesian's a good one. Like, that was my go-to before... Like I got hooked on the Chick-fil-A sauce. Mm-hmm. How long ago did the Chick-fil-A sauce come out? Do you know? It's a good question. I'm not sure. Because um, I don't remember it. Like I remember going to Chick-fil-A's and I used to get the Polynesian sauce all the time before mm-hmm. I even knew anything about the Chick-fil-A sauce. Okay. Yeah. So I must have been going before it was like really a big popular thing or maybe Probably. I was just dumb. It's still fairly recent. It, it's only been, you know, X amount of years. I don't think it's been a couple decades since it's been out. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then when I found that Chick-fil-A sauce... Mm. On the money. <laughs> what's your what's your go to meal there? Oh, definitely the spicy deluxe. Mm-hmm. Add bacon. Yes. Mm. Gets me every time. When I'm feeling like I need to be a bit healthy, I'll get the chicken wrap, mm. the avocado ranch. Oh, the avocado lime ranch. Yeah, that's yes. that's my favorite sauce for that one. I had so many of those when we were in the academy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was working there obviously, so I was like, she would just, you know, get me some and I would take it to lunch. Yep. Right there. I say healthy, but I would still get the French or the waffle fries with Chick-fil-A sauce. Oh, yeah. That adds your I mean, you know, you can't. You, can't, <laughs> you got to, man. You can't not spot. get that. <laughs> people, people don't know. Oh, or people, I would say not enough people know. Y'all got some, y'all got some milkshakes that are amazing. Yes. yes. What's your favorite? I mean, I'm pretty standard. I'd probably just say like the chocolate chip one. Okay. Yeah. Like the cookies or and the, cream? Yeah, the cookies type. and cream okay. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love it when the the peach or the peppermint. Um, I'm not a peach guy. No, I can't do the peach. Mm, strawberry. I mean, I like strawberry. Yep. Okay. But cookies and cream definitely trump strawberry. Make sure um, go ahead and ask for extra cookies. They can do that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Chelsea likes the lemonade thing. The um, it's like the oh sl- the frosted lemonade. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, that's her thing, man. Cause she likes lemonade. Love their lemonade. Yeah, so she likes that. I don't. I mean, I'm not a big lemonade guy, so I'm like, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, so um, you think, you think that's a long term plan? 
the yeah, Chick-fil-A. I think God's going to do something very unique. Um, I think Chick-fil-A is a long-term plan and so is ministry. Yeah. But it's like they're one and the same in my eyes. Um, think about the restaurant. You think about the team that we'll have. I mean, that's my new congregation, essentially. Um, the guests that come in. I mean, those are the, you know, the evangelistic opportunities, so to speak. Not in a, you know, proselytizing as they come in mm-hmm. to buy chicken, but more so being able to, one, keep a pulse on the community that I'm mm-hmm. in, but also being able to be there in their high highs and their low lows. And I mean, and two, like, um, you know, just like we talked about here, you know, the Chick-fil-A's have partnered with churches to do, you know, good things. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have those opportunities no matter where you go. Exactly. And exactly. knowing you, you'll be connected to a church and be able to be part of the local congregation doing stuff there too. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a combination of all that. And so I remember while I was in New York City, we actually went to Times Square Church. And at first, mm. you know, you think of Times Square Church, you're like, what in the world would that look like? Yeah. <laughs> But, dude, you talk about a congregation of people that are on fire for God in the midst of what you would think is kind of chaos. Um, it was wonderful, man. Every um, every Tuesday night we would go there. They had a prayer service that was, I think it was broadcasted to over 100 different countries. Is it meet? It meets in like a building somewhere there at Times Square? Yeah, it's a... It's an actual church. So it's like almost looks on the inside, almost looks like a theater mm-hmm. with the balconies and that kind of thing. Um, and then they have, but they own, I think, all of that because then they have a, not an office building, but a, a few story building that they have small groups and classes in as well. And so it was just super cool, man, to see how people would do church in such a city as New York, right in the midst of it all. And so from that, it really just further branched me out to, you know, walk the streets, talk to the homeless guys, and really just connect on, just get a really cool pulse on humanity in that city. And so it was nice. I don't remember if it was um, Seattle or Minneapolis, but one of I'm pretty, I would almost say like 95% sure one of those two cities, like Mm -hmm. clearly, you know, after all this stuff's going on right now, that um, there was like a huge revival that was happening in the streets. Like there was these groups that were going out in the streets, in the cities, you know, like out there with their little portable speakers, playing, you know, gospel music, preaching the message, baptizing people. And, uh, you know, it's like it was getting like no coverage, Mm. no coverage on the news. Of course. Of course. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's honestly one of like the saving graces about social media is because then individuals can start sharing that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it starts trending or whatever. And people here in Virginia, like me and you, you know, we yeah. get to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, like the big major networks aren't going to aren't gonna cover that thing because, you know, they have their own agendas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like, hey, man, in the chaos, God's moving. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, yeah. just, oh, it's just one of those sobering thoughts. Like, sometimes we get so stirred up by the drama mm-hmm. of everything that's happening, we forget like, God's still on the throne, man. Hmm. Amen. That's so good. I remember going to Niger, Africa, a couple years back and on a missions trip. It was actually with uh, Chick-fil-A operators and folks from Chick-fil-A support staff. So they're actually, nice. they partnered together to build Christian schools in Niger because their mission essentially was if you win the kids to Christ, they'll become the leaders of that nation and so on and so forth. And this, to be in, a, in an atmosphere where 
you know, I mean, this is, I mean, the, the worst case scenario living conditions and you're walking around and you got so many kids just running around, but there's joy on their face and you're like, wow. So even in the midst of, they don't have anything essentially in, in our eyes from America, you know, like, oh man, they've got nothing. But to, to them, they're like, well, I have everything I need, you know, I mean, I'm Got my family right here. I know food and water can be scarce at times, but I'm still here. And we would go to church services and see them worship and just worship alongside them. And I mean, the the pureness of their worship was just so inspiring because it's like, wow, you're you're glorifying God when you don't really have much. And you know, we almost become either too modernized, too materialistic, too whatever to not appreciate. God in his purest form. Uh, so it's really interesting. Yeah, it goes back to the whole, um, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes. We we get so attached to the things of this world. We get so inundated with, got to have the latest thing, got to have this, got to have that. You know, like we talk about it all the time, you know, it's like, we'll catch yourself, man, I really need to buy this. It's like, well, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want it. Mm-hmm. I only need it because I want it. <laughs> you know, that's about it. It's not. It's not like I really need it. Um, yeah, you know, and it's not one of those things where we're not trying to be like going back to monasticism, where it's like, oh, you got to go. Everybody's going to go live in a monastery or you know, in a cave or right. You know, wear wool and walk around and all that sort of <laughs> other stuff. But um, we do, man. We get so so caught up in the culture of all this stuff that you have to have, and we forget, you know so many people across this world have nothing, like nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're living, you talk about paycheck to paycheck, they're living day to day. Yeah. Day to day for exactly. food. Mm-hmm. That's a different world. Totally different world. So it was very humbling, um, very humbling. And I remember before going there, uh, one of the operators was like, hey, just to let you know, I've done this trip a few times, but just go expecting God to whisper something to you. And I, man, dude, when I heard that, I was like, dude, I am pumped. I yeah, can't listen. wait. I'm going to hear from God over there, right? So I go with that expectation of like just being all in and really just listening for God. And I, out there, it was much easier to do so because there wasn't so much noise, so to speak. So um, every every night we would go up to the rooftop where we were staying and at night and we would talk about the highs and the lows because it was a sensory overload for sure if you've never been. And so... And then we just play some worship music. We would just scatter across the rooftop and just have one-on-one time with God and just reflect. And it was so powerful. But one night, um, tears just coming down my face. I was just worshiping God. And he just whispered one word to me. He just kept saying discipleship over and over again. And I was just like, wow. And that that seed was planted. And I think that kind of confirmed what I was feeling called to do over time. And so it was just so cool that in the midst, all the halfway around the world, you know, God was right there. And so in tune with who I am because he created me. It's so cool to even fathom that idea. Um, but for him to just whisper something right in my heart and it just confirmed what I what I felt. So another thing goes back to talking about um, you know, the, having your senses trained for righteousness. You know, mm-hmm. people you get Christians that, you know, swing in all different directions as far as like what they what they believe about certain doctrinal issues. Mm-hmm. What I've found over my life is that um, a lot of times we, we tend to overreact to things that we disagree with to a point that 
then goes beyond what the Bible says in that direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like the people who, um, you know, tend to uh, react to, like, let's say you get a group of Christians who are, you know, running around believing that they audibly hear the voice of God or they can, you know, dictate when God's going to give them a vision or a dream. So then you get another group of Christians who are like, no, we don't think that happens today. And then they go way over here the other way to where God doesn't speak except for directly through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you do realize that God is still alive mm-hmm. and he's still very active and involved in the world. So, you know, when you, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you say like you heard God speaking to you, I'm sure you're not saying like, oh, I heard an audible voice, but more of like, it's like that intuition thing, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, it is almost as if you're sitting there having a conversation with him right? because it's so real yeah. that everything is going on inside of you. And then it's like that light bulb goes off mm-hmm. and you're just like, okay, yep, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, with the Holy Spirit living inside you, it's like you connect with God at a level you can't connect with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so all it takes is a whisper or a nudge and it's like, it's, it's, it makes so much sense or it sounds so clear because it's coming from literally within. And so it's really cool how God just can download whatever he wants, you know, to speak to you and through whatever means, whether it's through his word, whether it's through someone else or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just that creative. He is very creative. <laughs> so you said you didn't become a Christian until you were already like um, out of high school. Yeah, 2010. Um, I had just, so in 2009, I graduated high school, went right into the military did about like seven months of active duty time for training in South Carolina and Arizona. And so when I got back in 2010, um, I'll back up just one second. So in boot camp, I remember um, Private First Class Jamal Britt. He was a young man that was right in my platoon, stayed in the same barracks all through boot camp. And about once a week, he would pass by my bunk. It was maybe 9 p.m. or so. And he would pass by my bunk during during night hours or during bedtime, and he was like, hey, man, me and a couple of guys are going to do a Bible study over here in the back of the barracks. Do you want to join us? And I always said, no, thanks. You know, no, thank you. I wasn't a believer at the time and didn't know much about God or Bible or prayer or anything. And so I was like, eh, I'm good, I'm good. Well, towards the end of boot camp, he actually, um, he actually passed away. He had a medical condition, running, mm. ended up in the hospital. We were in the we were in the woods when we heard the news. We were staying there overnight, and so they brought us all back in, back to the home base, and brought out the chaplain. He just you know be able to talk with us, but it rocked me, man, to my core. And I was just and that seed of the man of God just constantly opening that invitation, and then to see him go, it was just that seed sunk pretty deep. So when I came back, um, I found the church that my parents used to go to years ago when I was little. And so I was like, all right, let me check. They had a new location, which is Life Church in Mechanicsville. And so um, my dad pastor knew me since I was a newborn. So it was just so surreal how how God took that. And 15 years later, essentially brought me back to that same church. And I remember going to um, a youth service. I did like a youth camp. And it was the first altar call I've ever been invited to. You know, the pastor preached. And he said, all right, everybody come up to the altar. 
uh, to pray. And man, everybody in there was just like running to the altar. And I was just like, is there a prize at the end or something? Like what's up there? <laughs> you know, so I'd, I'd nonchalantly just kind of walk down the side wall and find a little corner like away from uh, everybody else. And I was just like, all right, Lord, well, if you're there, here I am. And I felt like at that point I had given pretty much the world everything that I had. And I felt like I was on top of the world, had everything I needed, but felt very empty in terms of purpose. And so I was like, well, Lord, I gave the world everything, so I'll give you everything. What do I have to lose? And man, it was just this beautiful time of just crying, (laughs) snot everywhere, you know, baptized with the Holy Spirit. I was just lost in his presence. And since then, back then, I mean, it was just like, it was just beautiful. And that was the start of my walk with Christ because I just, I felt him and I knew he was real. I think that was because it was so tangible to me. um, I knew that it was the right thing. Do you remember what the guy was preaching? I don't. (laughs) Not a clue. (laughs) Not a clue, man. And, but I got baptized on May 22nd, 2010. And, it's been a wonderful ride ever since, man. I got baptized May 23rd, 2003. Wow. How about that? Yeah. So I always remember it because it's um, 3-23-2003. Ooh. Two, two, whatever. That's cool. But, yeah, so 2010, huh? Yep. Yep. Time flies, doesn't it? It does, man. It does. And my wife grew up in the church, and so... You know, when I first met her, she was taken at the time, you know, but I just came to Christ. And so I was like, all right, that's cool, you know, whatever. <laughs> but clearly I have a lot of work to do with you, Lord, first anyway, before you even think now, about. Did she grow up in that church? Yeah, she did, actually. Yeah, there's actually a picture I can show you later of her and I in the same Sunday school class when we were like kindergartners, essentially. Wow. And... 15 or so years later, we reunite. And so, uh, long story short, it took about a year to fall in love with Christ since, you know, I got baptized and everything and read the Bible all the way through, was going to every prayer service, Bible said I can get my hands on, I was just on fire for God. And it wasn't until after a full year had passed, um, she had split with the previous guy and she was single. And we were ironically uh, at a block party serving fried chicken together. <laughs> that is that is ironic. And uh, we were flirting it up, and I got her number that night, man. And uh, we started talking, and I was like, hey, Jazz, I just want to let you know, like, the next woman I kiss, I'm going to marry. And so I need to make sure I have the green light from God. And so I prayed and fasted, really seeking God's clarity on that. And boy, oh, boy, did he give me the green light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so... Man, we had our first kiss on a on a front porch during a thunderstorm, man. It was like the lightning was flash photography from heaven, man. Sealed the deal. And dated for two years and been married for six now. So Nice. It's been a blessing. Nice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Whole life ahead of you too, young man. I know. <laughs> Twenty nine years old. Dude. I know. I feel great. I didn't realize I was that much older than you. You know, you look young, man. That's what people say when I shave. Even more so. Even more so. <laughs> even more so. So when I was younger, I didn't like it, you know, because I'm like, well, I'm 27, you know. Uh-huh. I'm like 18. <laughs> now I'm 36. And I'm like, you know, when I get 45, they think I'm like 35. I'll be all right with that. That's going to be sweet. Yeah. It's good genetics, bro. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> you know, I try to, I try to eat healthy. 
be sitting here talking about Chick-fil-A a lot. I do love me some Chick-fil-A, but um, <laughs> I do try to eat healthy. Good. Exercising. Um, you got to get good sleep. Mm-hmm. Got to get the good sleep. I take, um, I would say every day, but that's not true because I often forget. Okay. But men's vitamin, like a legit one. You know, mm. you can get you can get to stuff at Walmart and you want to, a bunch of fillers, but you get like a legitimate vitamin. And then I take fish oil too. Mm. The reason I do that is because my family has a, my the men in my dad's side have a really good history of heart problems. Okay. Cholesterol problems, all that stuff. So mm. that's another thing. I've, I remember like from a very early age thinking to myself like, I don't want to have bad health when I get older. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I remember like my grandpa on my dad's side. So my grandpa had heart problems. He died. He was in his early 70s. So, you know, pretty decent life. But he died mm-hmm. um, heart problems. My uncle, so my dad's brother, he passed away in his late 50s. Wow. Yeah. He was so relatively young. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it was early sixties, but I think late fifties. Um, and then my dad passed away last year, so he was sixty nine. Mm. So, did I say that right? Yeah, because he was born in nineteen fifty. So mm. last year okay. that would have been sixty nine. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's you know still a pretty decent life there, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I want you know, I want to go a little bit longer than that. Yeah, <laughs> if I can, <laughs> ideally, I, I, you know, I want to. It's all, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to go and be with the Lord too. But hey, if I could sit here and serve Him a little bit longer, I'll do that as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works out. But I also want it to be a quality of life. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I don't want to be old and like can't do anything. Yeah, that'd be a tough lifestyle. You ever seen those guys who are like fifties, but still like marathon runners? Mm-hmm. That's what you want to be. <laughs> like maybe not the marathon runner, <laughs> but like the guy who could go out and run like a couple miles. At least look like you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Or like they'll go. I mean, he's fifty. Like, man. Yeah, like like you know, like the thirty year olds are looking at you going, "Not bad. Very well done, old yeah. man. <laughs> I'm impressed." <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that for you. Yeah, Absolutely. like I'm never gonna be the biggest, strongest guy. Totally fine with that. Don't need to be. Yeah, but. That's like that's another reason why I love doing jujitsu stuff because mm-hmm. I don't have to be the biggest strongest guy, but I can still go. I can still take you out, probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I just get it. Like uh, jujitsu's actually humbled me a lot. Oh, I'm sure it's humbled yeah. me a lot, dude. Have you ever done it? Yes. Have you really? Basics. Like Very the basics. Much the basics. Yeah. You took like an intro course. That and also in the academy, just whatever we did with. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So I remember when I first started going into the gym for jiu-jitsu, and, uh, you know, I've always been a pretty in-shape, athletic, agile, you know, guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show these guys. <laughs> you know, they're going to take their little moves, and I'm going to use my agility and athleticism. Yeah, that got shut down pretty quick because <laughs> um, they would take my speed and momentum and use it against me and then choke me out or snap my arm off or pretty whatever. Much, yeah. And, um, you know, I remember guys like, you know, my size or smaller than me or whatever. And it's like, they're throwing me around like a rag doll, mm. you know? And I'm like, what is this? You know? And so it's very humbling because, you know, you're like, I get beat up by everybody. You know, like <laughs> when you first start, you're like, I can't do anything. Yeah. Like everybody beats me up at will. <laughs> it's not even like a struggle. They beat you up at will. Yeah. They just toy with you at some point because <laughs> they get bored of beating you up so much. Mm-hmm. So then you get humble. 
And if you get, if you can overcome that humility, you know, your ego, mm-hmm. then that's when you can really learn. You know, and I've I've seen that too. Like guys come in the gym and they just think their strength or their you know muscularness or how big they are, they're gonna bowl people over or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they get tapped out by somebody like my size. Yeah, and you'll see them like they'll just stop coming. <laughs> and, and I really do. I'm like, that's an ego. That's an ego problem. Mm. Sounds like church on Sunday, mm, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hey, we never we never got to your uh, favorite verse. What was your favorite verse? Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I was telling Maybe you did to say that um, when that I was, was in New story. York, I started running um, when it was super snowy and stuff. I would run on the treadmill, but it's still we had corporate housing, and so I was able to have a full like big bay window while running to see the city. It was super cool. Now that is nice. Could you? Do you think you could do a treadmill like in a basement or at a gym? Like in general? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't do. Yeah, I I think I prefer to be outside. Yeah, when it's decent weather. I mean, like, but if it's pouring down rain or like twenty degrees, you know, like, who wants to run in that? Yeah, some people do. Some some people. <laughs> so do. on those extremes, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with the treadmill. But yeah, I can do either one. Um, when I trained for the marathon, it was all outside for sure. But um, but anyway, so I was running there and. You know, there was I was trying to get really fast miles, mile times on the treadmill while I was in there, and so I would take that verse, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I would put it in like a military cadence. So I'd be running, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I'd just go on and so forth, and and I would forget how painful it was. Like I would just focus on that and stay in rhythm with that, and I was able to get great times, and it was just cool. I like to. Um if I have to do something inside, so if I'm doing like, um, we got a, we got a stationary bike. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing a stationary bike, I'll, I'll throw up like a, um, podcast mm-hmm. that I like to listen to or like some video that I want to watch and I'll do that to distract myself. So that way I'm yeah. kind of like, I try to kill two birds at one time. Like, Hey, instead of sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and watching, you know, 30 minutes of YouTube, go ride the bike and, and watch and 30 watch. minutes of YouTube yeah. you know, or something like that. Yes. Um, or, like, I'll, I'll do it when I'm driving down the road. I'll throw my pod, like, the not my podcast, and <laughs> listen to myself. How narcissistic <laughs> is that? Uh, but I'll throw the podcast up that I like to listen to mm-hmm. while I'm driving down the road. Because mm. that way I can be, like, learning and educating myself while driving yeah. rather than just, like, mindlessly driving or listening to music. That's good productivity right there. I try to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have to multitask because I, I like to do too many things. Okay. That's that's my problem. Yeah. So if you yeah, can merge them. Yeah, my wife will tell you that. <laughs> I, I like to do too many things. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of a deal, right? Like you kind of <laughs> like, I keep, like, oh, I, think I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so uh, she makes fun of me for that. But audiobooks, big time in audiobooks. Yeah. Do you like audiobooks? Jasmine loves them. I've tried a couple and I've enjoyed it. Um, so I am definitely fiction or nonfiction. I think it was mostly nonfiction. Yeah. I remember. Mm -hmm. I, um, yeah. When I got, when I finally pulled the trigger on it, got it. It was like, yep, this is it, man. Cause you know, I mean like I work midnight shift, like, you know, working full time with sheriff's office. So yeah. Right around at nighttime, you know, and I mean, while I'm riding around listening to an audio book, yeah, I've listened to so many audio books, man. You think about (laughs) all those long hours. Hmm. You know, I mean, I could easily get in four hours of listening to an audio book a night. Yeah. You know, 
in between going to a call or making a traffic stop or stumbling upon something, whatever. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's downtime where you're just riding around looking looking for stuff, checking on businesses or whatever. Yeah. It's like get all of this, you know, get all these books done. Boom. <laughs> Maximize your time. Yeah, dude. I listened to like the whole Chronicles of Narnia series in Did like, you? <laughs> yeah, like a week or two. And I listened to um Treasure Island. So that's another mm. fictional one. Mm-hmm. But then I like I like to learn. So I always talk about um you know, when we learn history, we learn a lot about like Western civilization. Like, you know, here's the here's the ancient um, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, and then Western civilization. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's like we don't, at least from my upbringing, like we don't think about a lot about the um, like the Asian cultures. Mm. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, what was going on over there for all those thousands of years? Yeah, Japan, China, Mongolia. You know, like so. I listened to a whole book. It was like 18 hours on Genghis Khan. Wow. That was crazy. I bet. That guy was nuts. <laughs> have you ever like have you ever studied Not really, no. Dude, he killed so many people. Mm. He like he was ruthless. Ruthless man. Wow. So Yeah, I mean he conquered a lot of territory. Yeah. But he was super ruthless. Very barbaric. But anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. So I listened to that. Um yeah, but just a bunch of other books, man. It's yeah. easy to power through them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Super easy. Fly through them, man. Do you listen to any podcasts? I haven't recently, man, to be honest. I listen to, like, sermons and stuff from other pastors. Um, yeah. But podcasts, I haven't found one until now that I don't Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to subscribe. You got to get a subscriber. Um, who's your favorite celebrity preacher? Celebrity preacher, hmm. I guess maybe Furtick, Stephen Furtick. I enjoy listening to his I stuff. See, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I don't, I don't really consider him a celebrity. That's okay. why it took me a while to think. Um, he's well known, I guess, in general. Elevation worship, that kind of thing. Gotcha. But, yeah, I, I don't really care so much about the celebrity yeah. preachers. Um, I like, um, I think his name is Michael Todd. I think he's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really good as well. So as long as you're preaching the word, man, you're talking about mm-hmm. Jesus, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, people get caught up in celebrity Christianity. They don't understand that, like, there are so many really good, dynamic, super smart, wise preachers mm-hmm. who have, like, no celebrity nature to them. You know what I mean? Like, people mm-hmm. don't even know about them. Yeah. But they're some of the smartest people you ever meet or talk to, you know, Absolutely. about the word. I feel like I'm talking to one right now. Nah, no, <laughs> man, not at that level. Not at that level. Trying to get there. Working yeah. on that master's. Love it. Learning from a lot of other smart people. <laughs> I took a. I'm taking a philosophy class. Classical philosophy. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, super, super rough, man. Like wow. um, it's it's not bad. It's a lot of terms and terms that we use in one way today. Mm-hmm. But they use it in a totally different way mm. in the classical realm of philosophy. Mm. So having to like recondition your brain to when you're reading that paragraph to think about that word in that sense rather than the sense you want to use it. Oh wow! You know, and then like just all this other stuff to it. So every night last week was four and a half hours of lecture, mm. Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. and then a, and then a chunk on Saturday as well. So mm. you know that's 
That's heavy, man. That is very heavy. That's heavy. And now, like, <laughs> now, now I got till January. I have a couple books to read. I have a couple articles to read. And then, like, we got to go back and read, like, some original sources from, you know, like, read Plato, read mm-hmm. um, uh, Aristotle stuff, read, um, I think, some stuff from David Hume, read some stuff from Thomas Aquinas, mm. you know, and these big heavy hitters. And, like, it ain't easy, Mm-mm. you know. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys do this stuff for a living. Like, there's legitimate, for a living, I'm a philosopher or philosophy teacher. Yeah. You know? It's wild, man. I remember taking a, I guess it was an introduction to philosophy back in undergrad. And yeah, I was swimming in some deep waters in that. <laughs> what school What school was it? Uh, VCU, right in Richmond. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so this is only just like one chunk of philosophy. You know, just that classical chunk so you know like we we touch on some some ancient philosophy um because obviously it has some connection there mm-hmm. but we don't even go through like all this stuff like you know the recent stuff and the stuff with the enlightenment um what really focuses heavily on on thomas aquinas mm-hmm. um and his connection with aristotle but you know still in that sense it's like oh boy mm-hmm. you know but it it um what people don't understand is like you know they go oh, you know that's beyond me. I'm not going to do philosophy. Well, everybody does philosophy. Just yep. whether, you know, whether you do good or bad philosophy. <laughs> you know, and you don't know the difference unless you know a little bit about philosophy. Sort of a thing. Um, so, but common sense. I've realized common sense goes a long way. Because mm-hmm. if you have good common sense, you can look at some of this technical, philosophical jargon and go, yeah, that's dumb. That don't make sense. You know, and like, I don't know why it's dumb, but it's dumb. It is. <laughs> yeah, that's dumb. That don't work. Um, but what it does help with is the more I am studying it, mm-hmm. the more I'm appreciating the Christian worldview mm-hmm. for being the worldview that matches up with reality as we see it mm-hmm. the best. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's one of those things like um, when I talk about apologetics, there's like objective arguments mm-hmm. and things you can present. But then for me personally, there's the subjective things that also confirm just to me mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, this is real. It's like, you know, your your rooftop experience. Yeah. You know, it's like the Bible says God acts this way. I just experienced God acting this way. That, that to me is a confirmation. Yeah, you know? definitely. Like for me personally, I'm not going to use that necessarily to try to be like, see, you should trust my subjective experience to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, it's one of those, conf- like when God answers a prayer, you know, or when right. you can feel God moving in your life. Mm-hmm. Those sort of things. Amen. Absolutely. I've had them multiple times. It's the best. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so 2010, you've been a Christian now for 10 years. Woohoo! 10-year anniversary, baby. Yeah, it was this during the pandemic, huh? It was. Did you have a cake? I did not. Oh, you should have. But I've eaten a lot of cake during the pandemic. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's all good. So what's the, what's the um, big lesson that you have learned in your 10 years of being a Christian that you would pass on to a newbie? Mm-hmm. I would say there's a lot of unknown. And so there's like this mystery to it all. And so, which is really fun, especially for 
I think guys and girls alike, but I think for a man, you know, the whole adventure, that whole wild side, God, God created that. Like he created adventure. And so he created that wilderness. He created all that, that wild feeling. You want to be out there in the wild type thing. So for me, yes, there's a lot of unknown, but there's so much adventure with it. And so it kind of captivated me from the beginning. And I feel like I haven't, I don't think I'll ever reach a point where I feel like I know all of God or I've, I've learned everything I need to learn as a Christian. And so that part fascinates me that much more because I'm like, man, I feel like I know God really well. Like him and I are pretty tight, but like there's so many deeper levels that I can still go for the next decade and the decade after that. So I think just for a newbie, you're going to have a lot of questions. It's going to be a lot of unknowns, but just take that next step the next step closer. He may not illuminate the whole road or the whole path. More than likely, he'll illuminate the next step only. <laughs> because if you saw 10 steps down the road, you'd probably freak out, pass out, or <laughs> something of the combination. Um, so I think really just just trusting God and do a lot more listening than talking. Like definitely pray and talk to him. Let him know what you need. Let him know how you're feeling. Be real with him. He can take it. He can handle all your emotions. But then after that, pause and listen. For sure. That's one thing we definitely forget to do is to stop and listen to mm-hmm. God speaking mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. 100%, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Dude, appreciate it, man. It's definitely a privilege and honor. Yeah, so we want to leave people. So you are at Life Church in Mechanicsville. So if you guys want to check him out, go meet him in person since he's not on social media. <laughs> he's up there. That's where you can find him uh, right. in Mechanicsville at Life Church, and then later on down the road, he will be at a Chick-fil-A somewhere in this country. Amen. Serving out the most delicious chicken sandwiches. That's right. Yeah, and there's <laughs> waffle <it>. fries. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming. Yes, sir. Thank you. See you, everybody.